You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Thank you for being here this evening. We're going to look in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, and sometimes the places to visit are the places you visit the most often, and this is one of those that I've been to a number of times, and tonight I think we'll spend some time here again. Psalm, or rather, um, Proverbs, man, Isaiah 40. <laughs> See if I can get my brain in gear here. Of all the things I miss the most, you know, my mind. So once in a while it just goes off. I was thinking uh, about last Sunday's message and a pastor talked about the, the weighty issues of life and talked about gender and all the perversity that goes along with that. And it stuck in my mind that how culture has changed so dramatically. Um, he said when he, in, in the 90s, those children that were born in that era, one out of 20 had a um, laissez-faire attitude about the LGBT um, movement. And then in the, those born in the 90s, uh, uh, 80s rather, one in 20, and then in the 90s, one in uh, 10, and now the number has, I guess the word would be increased, but really it's decreased. One in five have a positive view of LBG. And I thought to myself, how did that happen? It didn't happen just overnight. Uh, it's so incrementally small how these things transform and chaos begins to a rule and a culture, but it's nothing new. Um, reading in the book of Judges, and I came to the last chapter, two or three chapters of the book of Judges, and there was a religious leader there, a Levite, who had gone to uh, retrieve his, um, I hesitate to use the word concubine because Really, that's kind of a nice way of saying somebody it wasn't his legitimate wife. But he called her his wife, and so he went down just like she was property and retrieved her. And on the way back home to their uh, tribe, um, they had to stay overnight in the city of Jeba, uh, which was a part of the tribe of Benjamin. And there in Jeba, uh, an old man took them into his house because he said it's not safe for you to be out on the streets. And there in the house, banging on the door, the uh, inhabitants of Jeba came and said, give us uh, these people that came to be in your house. And uh, long story short, instead of the man going out, he puts his concubine on the door and the man who, the old man who took him in put his maid on the door and they used and abused this woman all night long. And when she, uh, he opened the door in the morning to leave. Again, this is a religious leader. 
Uh, we talk about debauchery and depravity. And he opened the door, and there she was on his doorstep after a whole night of being used and abused. And he said, get up, woman, we're going home. She didn't move. And um, obviously she was dead. And so he loaded her on his animal, took her back to his home, and did what every sane person would do, not cut her up in 12 pieces and sent her throughout the uh, nation of uh, the uh, tribes of Israel and said, this is what these people of Benjamin have done. Let's go kill them. And they did. Eleven tribes went to the uh, uh, to the uh, to battle against the Benjamites, eleven tribes, and nearly wiped them out. Over seventy thousand people were killed in the battles between uh, the eleven tribes and uh, the Benjamites, and only six hundred were preserved. And that was because they finally caught themselves thinking this is insanity, and they allowed them to go again through some perversity to re repopulate their tribe. I, I, that's a terrible story to begin the, the night on, but I just it gives you the sense that this is not new. The stuff that you read in the newspaper or hear on the news, people are becoming irate about it. Oh, this, you know, we didn't grow up like this. I, I know that, but it's not new. The people of that era didn't grow up like that. Uh, the people in the era of Noah, I did not grow up like that. It incrementally got to that place where it was uh, as depraved as it was. So how do we, in, in light of all of that, how do I find comfort? How do I pillow my head every night and sleep well? How do I find peace when I go out about uh, my day's duties? And I find it here in the book of Isaiah and in chapter 40 in the first verse. God's words. Uh, and, and notice something. I thought this as I read it. God doesn't stutter. Listen to the words. Comfort ye. Comfort ye, my people. There's a reason when God repeats a word, it's because it's vital uh, someone described it as God's volume button. When he repeats a phrase or a word, it's because it's getting louder and more intense as he says it the next time. Comfort ye! Comfort ye, my people, he says. He's saying it to Isaiah. Uh, hold that first verse because we have to do a little backdrop to get us to the place where we want to be. Go to chapter 38 and chapter 39 and look at that, uh, the name of Hezekiah. Uh, Isaiah and Hezekiah had a history together. Isaiah had come along long before uh, Hezekiah had ever been born. In fact, when he was in his 20s, Isaiah uh, began to preach, and it was because the king Uzziah... The, the king of Judah had died. He died a terrible death, a death of a leper. And it so impacted 
uh, Isaiah, it says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and, and the interaction went on, and he said to God, he said, here am I, send me. So the years went by, and the next king came, and Ahaz, and then Jotham, uh, and then Hezekiah. Now Isaiah is no longer this 20 or 30-year-old young um, uh, visionary preacher. He's the old fella. He's the 80-year-old now. He's the 70-year-old now. He's the one that's, uh, whose voice is bellowing out to the kings in his era. And Hezekiah is just one such king. Hezekiah was a good king. Uh, there's very little to say negative about Hezekiah. One of the greatest revivals in all of Judah happened during, uh, kingdom of Judah happened during Hezekiah's reign. Uh, the kingdom of Israel had already disappeared off of the map. And there were just hands full of pockets of people scattered throughout the promised land. And, and Hezekiah uh, initiated this great Passover for days and weeks. And, and he invited people. He sent messengers all over the promised land. And people would come and they would participate. And it was a great revival. There's very little to say negative about Hezekiah. Uh, one thing we do discover there in uh, chapter 38, Hezekiah knew how to react to bad news. Look in verse 30, uh, uh, chapter 38, verse 1. In those days uh, was Hezekiah, the king, uh, sick unto death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order, you're going to die. How'd you like that job? Thou shalt die. I don't think Isaiah, as this old preacher, had any glee in his voice when he came into the palace that day and saw the sick Hezekiah to tell him that. And, and yet, Isaiah was required to obey God, even if it impacted those he loved. And so Isaiah walked out of the palace and Hezekiah did that which all of us should do when bad news comes verse 2 turned his face toward the wall and prayed and said remember now O Lord I beseech thee how I walk before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which was good and Hezekiah wept sore um Sometimes we take our issues to everybody but the Lord. And we forget that the people we're taking our issues to can't really do anything about it. And the Lord heard his prayer and said to Isaiah, uh, verse uh, 5, he said, the Lord, 4 and 5, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of uh, David thy father, I have heard thy prayer. Not that... He didn't hear his prayer if he'd have said no, but I've heard thy prayer and I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days 15 years. Can you imagine what Hezekiah must have thought to himself? Tomorrow I have 14 years, 364 days, 
and the next day I have 14 years, 363 days, and the clock began to tick. But it was far better than the previous news he had had, and so he was delighted that God had heard his prayer. And he, uh, he put it down in writing, his delight. But look in chapter 39. Something happens in that period, that 15-year period, that maybe is not equal to some of the other horrendous behaviors, but it, it's sufficient that God recorded it. The king of Babylon, it says, had heard that the king of Judah was ill, nigh unto death, and the king of Babylon sent a nice card and some presents and an entourage, and, and they came, it says in verse 1, with this present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and recovered. Um, and it must have been a pleasant letter. Hezekiah was glad of them and showed them the house of the precious things. And, and sometimes in, in this mountain of euphoria, when God does something grand for you, uh, you begin to lose sight of reason. And Hezekiah was on this mountain peak, and when the letter came from the... Uh, you understand th something about the king of Babylon. This was not a great empire at this time. It was a, a fledgling little empire. But Hezekiah must have felt this, again, euphoria and exhilaration. Not only had God answered his prayer, but now kings uh, from other countries are taking notice. And, and he said, come, look at all the stuff in my house. See it, the silver and the gold and the, and, and, and the spices and the precious ointments and uh, the house of the ar his armor and all that was found in his treasuries. Here, look in Fort Knox and see how much gold we have here. Uh, you know, common sense kind of sometimes checks out when we get a little bit, uh, our emotions begin to rule. And, and there was nothing in his house that Hezekiah showed them not. One more time, God assigns the old man to come to the king and says, verse 3, Isaiah the prophet uh, came and said unto the king Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men? From whence came they unto thee? And uh, Hezekiah said, well, they're come from a far country unto thee, uh, unto me. Even from Babylon, that little, little kingdom way hundreds of miles away from here. Then, he, then said he, what have they seen in thy house? It's a good thing to ask questions. I usually don't like to ask questions because sometimes I hear things I don't want to hear. So I just... I'd rather not know. But when God wants you to ask questions, you better ask him. He said, what did they see? And Hezekiah said, well, I, all that's in mine house have they seen. There's nothing among my treasures that I have not, uh, that I have not showed them. Then said Hez Isaiah to Hezekiah, this dear, dear king that he loved, that he'd seen grow up and he'd seen bring great revival to the kingdom of Judah. Then, Hezekiah, then Isaiah, the old preacher, said, Hear this, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day 
She'll be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be, be left. Verse 7. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace. Uh, not good news. Everything you showed them is going to be taken away. And all your sons and all your servants are going to be taken away. And, and not good news. And on the heels of all of that, it, it's almost like there's this mountain peak and now valley. And on the heels of that comes these words in verse 1 of chapter 40. Comfort ye. Comfort ye, my people. Do you know what most of the time I get, get the, the most significant comfort? It's when I've been down in the deepest dregs. When things have gone terribly wrong. And somebody comes along and has a word from the Lord, like Isaiah. And they say, they don't have to say a lot. They don't have to tell me, boy, you really messed up this time. Uh, I already know that. Uh, they don't have to beat me over the head because I already feel the impact. Comfort ye my people. You see, he had just told the king, that king is going to come and get your stuff and get your son and cart them off. And this kingdom won't be in existence anymore. But, it's not going to happen today or tomorrow. I don't know when it's going to happen. And in the ensuing, ensuing uh, moments, and in the ensuing days, you can find comfort in the Lord. Here's where you'll find your comfort. Verse 2, it says, Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Go on down, first of all, uh, where do we find this comfort. What did Isaiah do for comfort? He understood that in changing times, in chaos, in chaotic times, comfort only comes through three sources. Look in verse 8. The grass withereth. withereth. Yeah, this tickled me when I read this. The grass. What is the grass? Well, back up to the previous verse. Um, the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. I, I was thinking of uh, years gone by and getting the lawnmower out and cutting the uh, lawn and, and there's this abundance of clippings on the grass and you get your big blower out and whoosh and it's gone. Isn't that a, a descriptive way to say people is grass? If, if, you, if you think... If you think that's not enough, go over to uh, verse number 22. He that sitteth upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants thereof are grasshoppers. This is the picturesque language of the scripture. I love it. Uh, you see, when you, you begin to overestimate your value. Now, you are valuable to God. But when you overestimate yourself... In the grand scheme of things, you discover that when, when you look in the mirror, what you're looking at is something that is a body that is completely temporary, like the grass, like the grasshopper. 
You see, I don't have a soul. I am a soul. I just live in this grass container. Using the, his uh, language here. But look at verse 8. Here's where I want to park. The grass withereth. That's me. The flower fadeth. That's some of you ladies. You're more like flowers than grass. So he's gracious to you. But it's still, after you cut it and put it in the vase, it won't take long. The pretty smell is gone. But, oh, here it is. The word of our God shall stand forever. I love this book. I don't love this book just because of the white pages and the print on it. I love it because it's God talking to me. I discover things over, uh, as I read, over and over again. I discover things I didn't see in the same places that I was before. Just like Isaiah 40. I've been here multiple times and, and something new jumps off the page and jumps in my heart and, and provides for me comfort in the, in the darkest moments. I don't know what tomorrow is going to be. In, the, in King Hezekiah's um, uh, mind, he didn't know if that king of Babylon was going to come next year or the following year. Uh, in reality, it was 60 to 100 years later it was going to happen. But God purposely didn't tell him. You know why? Because God wants us to find our comfort in him, not in counting the days when that would happen. He already had enough to count the 15 years, not to add on to it when the king of Babylon would come. There's a reason why Jesus said, it'll just be a little while till I come back. He said that to his disciples. And they thought, just a little while, what does that mean to you? Next month, next year. And here we are 2,000 years later, and I'm still looking at that, and I'm saying to myself, it's just a little while. Um, Look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. Uh, that really, the anticipation is that it's, it's going to be tonight. Well, if it's not tonight, it's going to be tomorrow. If it's not going to be tomorrow, it's going to be the next day. And so there's a, there's a reason for the ambivalent uh, nature of the phrasing, a little while. It is in God's sight, a little while. But he doesn't want you to know when it is because he wants you to live like it's this moment. You know, he's coming. Do do you realize this, that everything you need to know, everything, and, and emphasize this, everything you need to know is found in this eternal word. You say, can it, Tell me how I can be a, uh, an electrician or a carpenter. Well, it can tell you how to work hard. It can tell you how to study. It can tell you how to do other things that will prepare you to do those things because the reality is everything you... Did you realize this? When Job went through the 
horrific horrific experience of losing 10 children and all of his assets and his health and even his miserable comforters came knocking at the door. When he got to the end of the discourse and God spoke up, God asked him 88 questions. Boom, boom, boom. But God never told him answers to questions there's a reason because everything that Job ever needed to know he could find right here and what he didn't need to know guess what he didn't need to know isn't that profound what you don't need to know you really don't need to know honest there are a lot of things I don't need to know um And that's the beauty of this book. The the academics have tried to dilute this book. Uh, The agnostics have tried to debate this book, cast doubt on it. The religious intellectuals have tried to adapt the book to the culture. And by the way, they've tried to find softer ways of saying the hard things in this book. Doesn't change it. The antagonistic uh, antagonist has tried to disprove this book, and yet, day after day, some new scientific discovery points to the reality. Hey, the life of the flesh is in the blood. We don't bleed our people anymore because that kills them. <laughs> uh, the earth is circular. Uh, you see all that in verse twenty-two. He sitteth upon the circle of the earth. So, regardless of the academic and the agnostic and the intellectual and the antagonist. This book is like a like an anvil. Many a hammers lie broken all around having hit on that anvil. Here's the here's the uh, kind of concluding remark regarding this. Where do I find comfort? I find it in this book. There is more wisdom in one verse of God's word than all the religious and academic institution in all, in institutions in all the world. Number two. Look in verse uh, 17. Actually, 17 and 23. So I find comfort, number one, in the eternal word. Number two, it just it goes on and on and on. I'm not worried about somehow It'll go out of existence. Number two, I find comfort in the supreme kingdom. Um, God's kingdom really is everlasting. We've had human kingdoms that have come down the pike um, before the flood. There were kingdoms. They were all washed away before Tower of Babel. They got together and began this 100 years after the flood, got together this endeavor to build a tower to the heavens. And yet those kingdoms no longer... uh, There was an Egyptian kingdom and a Babylonian kingdom and a Persian kingdom and a Greek kingdom and a Roman kingdom and and a united kingdom. There was a day, I think, uh, 150 years ago, they said that the sun never sets on the... Um, British rule. 
I'd, I'd toss this out to you. There was a, there is a, uh, a United States kingdom too. You say, we don't have a kingdom. We don't have a king. Yeah, we elect one every four years or eight years. And we put him in a white house, you know, and we treat him like a king. We just don't call him a king. Um, all kingdoms. The German kingdom, a thousand year Reich, where is it? It's buried with the ashes of Hitler in Berlin. Berlin. Um, human kingdoms all have a shelf life. You, you understand that, don't you? And, and so when I'm thinking of kingdoms, I'm thinking, I, I don't find much comfort in human kingdoms. But I tell you what I do find comfort in. I find comfort in the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 when he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And I say, yeah, he goes on to say, you must be born again. And I think to myself, if I'm born again, I've seen the kingdom of God. If I'm born again, I've entered the kingdom of God. I find a lot of comfort in that when I turn the news on. And I think to myself, all oh, these kingdoms are just kind of floundering. They do the best they can, and they kind of slow the, the rot the best they can. Um, this is a great place we live, and we've enjoyed many benefits by it, and our children and families have. Uh, hold your hand here for a moment. Go back to Psalm chapter 2. Just kind of give you a, a feel for what it looks like, how God looks at these uh, human kingdoms, uh, Psalm 2. Um, wh why do the heathen rage? I, when I read that, I thought to myself, Putin rages, Zelensky rages, uh, Trump rages, Biden rages, uh, uh, G rages. Everybody's raging, you know? Sometimes they are able to control their rage a little bit better, and it's not as evident. But why do the heathen rage? Those are their loss. Why do they rage? Look in verse 6. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill. I find comfort in, in the fact that he's the king, and I'm in his kingdom. Verse 10. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. So if you're wise, you ought, to, you ought to read on to verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish. We've got a new king in England. You know what they do for him? They, they iron his shoelaces every day. If he travels, they carry his toilet seat to the next location so he doesn't ever have to touch anybody else's. Uh, somebody is there to put one inch of toothpaste on his toothbrush every time he brushes his teeth. And yet that same pampered, they used to call him the pampered prince, now he's the, I don't know, king. I was, there are other descriptors, but he's the king. 
that same king one day will find himself before the throne, prostrate, flat on his face. And it seems as though he doesn't know Christ. He'll confess that he is Lord to the glory of God, but it'll be too late. You see, go back to our Isaiah text. Look in Isaiah 66. In fact, hold Isaiah 66 because it's where we're going to end our, our thoughts tonight. But look in Isaiah 66 verse 1. When it comes to this, I find great comfort in this. You understand I find great comfort in God's eternal word that you can't destroy it. It's indestructible. I find great comfort in the kingdom of God. You see what verse 66 says, uh, chapter 66, uh, verse 1 says, Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne. Look out on the stars, and he's sitting in the, on the sky. And the earth is my footstool. When you go home tonight and get in that easy chair and, and, you, and you get your little ottoman in front and put your feet up on it, Think of it in this terms. God's using the earth in such a way. That's how minuscule it is. And yet all these little dots, seven billions of them on this earth are important enough for him to know their number, their every hair and to know the condition of their heart. And long to bring him into his kingdom. That's quite a kingdom. Again, I ask you to hold on to 66. We're going to come right back for just a moment. In just a moment. If I was going to worry about something, and this is kind of the concluding thought relative to this last, this, this middle thought. If I was going to worry about something or worry about anything, I wouldn't worry about nuclear threats. I'd worry about the fact that one day the Lord is coming back and in Revelation 20 it says there's going to be a great white throne. Is your name written in the book of life? Or will you be at that great white throne falling before him recognizing your doom forever? That's what I'd be worried about. You must be born again to get into the kingdom. There's a third thing that brings me great comfort and it's found in verse 28. And We've spent a lot of time here and time past so I won't take a whole lot of time tonight. There's a verse in Numbers. Well, let's do this before I give you that verse in Numbers. Verse 27 asks this question. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest thou, uh, speakest, O Israel? My way is hid from the Lord. Isn't that a, isn't that an, um, I don't know, uninformed thing to say? 
My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. He doesn't see anything. Why do you say that? Verse 28. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, uh, uh, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not nor is weary? He made it all, and he wasn't even tired. When, God, when it says God rested, it wasn't because he was tired. He made it all. He created it all. He's not tired. He's not even, uh, he's not even short of breath. Not even in the least. And then he continues and says, there is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. Here's where I find comfort. Be it young or old, see down in uh, verse 30, even the youth shall faint, be weary. Young men shall utterly fall. It's obvious that when we get a little older, yeah, we're going to faint too. But look in verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I want to, I want to divert your attention from how we use the word wait. We always think of it as a passive, just waiting on something to happen. That's not the sense in this verse. Numbers chapter 3, verse 10. You can look it up later. It talks about the sons of Aaron. It says, appoint Aaron and his sons that they shall wait on their priest's office. He's not talking about them standing around just saying, now what should we do next? He's talking about the priest doing his duty in, like a waiter waits on a table, like a servant waits on a Master, like a mistress waits, a uh, 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 um, a maid wor- uh, waits on her mistress. Uh, what do you need next? What would you like me to do next? That's the way the word wait is used in verse three. They that wait, like a waiter, like a a maid, like a a servant. I'm uh, I'm at his beck and call. To do that which is reasonable service. Most of you have been saved for a while. And you have memorized Romans 12 verse 1. says, I beseech you brethren by the mercies of God. That ye present your bodies. Uh, uh, sacrifice. Wholly acceptable unto the Lord. Which is your reasonable service. Do you know sometimes in my life. I know it's hard for you to fathom this. Sometimes my expectations in my family were not very reasonable. I, you know, you have a hard time understanding that, don't you? Not. Sometimes the people I interacted with, Brother Max is here, and uh, Sister Dedry, and they sat under ministry. Some, sometimes I'm pastoring. I wasn't very reasonable. But I've discovered this about the Lord. He took me into his family over 50 years ago. And all of his expectations of me have been perfectly reasonable. Anytime he's asked me to do something, things beyond my comfort zone, he's always done it reasonably. And he's always provided sufficient 
comfort. He is the sufficient Lord. That's why he could say to the Apostle Paul, who three times said, take this thorn in the flesh away from me. You would have thought if he listened to Hezekiah uh, pray in chapter 38 and gave him 15 more years, you would have thought God would have said, my, what a great servant you've been to me. I'll just take it away. But instead he said, my grace is sufficient for you. I've discovered that when I wait in the sense of purposely doing what God wants me to do, not passively standing around and saying, what do you want me to do now? But purposely doing what I know he wants me to do when I wait on him like a servant. Um, there's always sufficiency. I find comfort whatever stage I am. Um, I look at my tools sometime, sometimes in my tool shop and I'm thinking, you know, one of these days I should get rid of that, uh, that bowl float and I, I probably won't use that cement uh, trial much anymore. You know, probably I should do that. Ah, no, I'll do that. Another. And I may not be able to pour six yards of concrete again, but, but I can... I can do what I'm doing here. I can sit down with those six young men and women every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and I can take them through God's Word and teach them. And I can do something. You know? And when I do, and when I wait on Him, like a waiter, I find He's sufficient for the task. I ask you to hold on. We're going to leave chapter 40 now, I ask you to hold on to chapter 66 for a reason. Look in verse 13. Do you know why sometimes my level of comforting or my level of service has not necessarily been reasonable? Is I don't quite comprehend this. Look in verse 13. As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you, and ye shall be comforted in Jerusalem. There's something unique about a mother. God puts something unique in the creation of a woman that's different than a man. doesn't say justify that a man shouldn't, be, shouldn't comfort, but women have an ability to comfort that that you know it's God made that in him. And the source of that comfort is God. And thus, we're not saying God is feminine. We're simply saying that God is the one who created. God is the originator of that motherly comfort. It came from him. He made it. He implanted it in you. And we get our comfort from this grand comforter that says in the, in, in, the, uh, in the peaks and in the valleys, here's my comfort. I, I wasn't going to do this, but 
let me just, you can leave Isaiah. Go to 2 Corinthians. We can't not look here in 2 Corinthians 1, and you'll have my thought. And I was hoping because the little outline in your bulletin was sketchy that the sermon would be short, but it's not. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, so, so the first letter is real hard. I mean, tough stuff. There's things in, in 1 Corinthians that just makes you shiver. But look at 2 Corinthians. Blessed, verse 3 says, be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulations. Why? Any little bit of comfort that I'm able to administer to somebody else is as a result of having received it from God. I've been comforted. And I can give a little bit out. Here it is. That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. The master comforter comforts us. But it's not a dead end street. It's a channel. Give it to somebody else. Let that comfort be a comfort for somebody else. Let's pray together.